Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. While and we've just, you guys, there is a special grace upon Michael and Kimberly Edwards, and there is just so. Um, what we're gonna do is, Mike and Kimberly, could you come on up? Um, senior leadership, could you come on up? We, uh, what we want to do is, um, you know, talk about just a, a servant leader. They had been pastoring for, for many, many years in Texas and also here. And they come and, you know, they're like a lot of us. How many of you guys, I mean, we all have the stories of being wounded in the church. I do for sure. And they, they had come and they told, you know, they were tired. They were tired. And you know what? You know what tired leaders do? They start serving. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, when we were at Sandy Creek High School, these guys would show up every single morning at 5 a.m. to set up the whole service. This is what these pastors did. These are what, and so, um, you know, the one thing about the pastoral environment that we have different about the pastoral nature of our, our community is they're supernatural pastors. If you hang out with Mike and Kim, you're going to just hear stories and stories of heaven intervening, of miracles happening, of people being saved, delivered, and healed. And this is the kind of pastoral love that we are cultivating that Mike and Kim are going to be leading for our community. Um, and they're going to be our uh, uh, community life pastors pastors here at Bethel Atlanta. And so I feel like our pastoral level is going up, is going to the next level, is going to the next level of glory to glory, glory to glory. And, um, you know, one of the other things that I really, really love about these two is, is their mothers and fathers. And they are spiritual mothers and fathers. And, and Paul says something really significant. Um, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And I want to tell you, these two are worth following because they're following Jesus. They know how to be followers. And so we're just really excited just to, to put our hands on them this morning. And I do believe something's going to happen in the fabric of Bethel Atlanta today. Our whole pastoral world is going to go to the next level. Um, but until then, I first want to uh, just really quick, if you're a part of our generations, for our youth pastors, our, our um, um, children's pastors, or if you're the... Um, um, uh, young adult pastors. Yeah, stand up, stand up. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. Sorry. I, I still need to say the directions first, don't I? So stand up first. These are our generations pastors. If you're part of our home group pastor, if you're one of the home group leaders in our midst, could you stand up? I know we have a bunch of home group leaders in our midst. And um, these, are the, the, these are what leaders do. These guys are going to be undergirding them. They're going to be strengthening what you guys do in your ministries. And I just would love you guys to just give a round of applause for these people who serve so faithfully as leaders and pastors in our midst who serve in our home groups and just in our children's ministry and our youth ministry and our young adults ministry and also on over 50 fire. We're just so encouraged for what you guys are doing. All right. If you could now extend your hands to these two. 
Father, more than anything, we just say, like all of us, fill us up, fill them up. We just ask for today to be a fresh baptism of fire over Michael and Kimberly. We just ask, we know that they've lived a life of fire, a lived a life of just pursuing you, Holy Spirit. And we just thank you for faithful leaders that can go through a valley of a shadow of death, but also can reign and rule on the mountaintops, that know how to stay connected to the vine of you being our chief apostle, our chief leader. And we thank you for those that know how to undergird and lead others like you led. And we just thank you that the pastoral current of Bethel Atlanta is about to go to a whole nother level. That really these fathers and mothers are worth following here. They're worth seeing and emulating because they know how to follow. They know how to be led by your voice, by your heart. And so we just thank you that both Michael and Kimberly, we just call pastors here at Bethel Atlanta. We just anoint you for just such a time as this, that the, deep, the waters have got deeper at Bethel Atlanta because you two leaders are here. And so we just thank you. That's what happening in the heavens right now would happen on the earth. That we are gonna be a people that know how to be family, that know how to love one another, that know how to serve one another, that know how to see and hear and abide and connect and be bonded to one another. And so we thank you for these two leaders, that Pastor Michael and Pastor Kimberly would lead in this way and we would just get in their wake as they bring a whole nother level of heaven to earth. Just and the authority that they carry. So we just bless you and we just release you in a whole new place over this whole region. Would just feel the pastoral anointing come up to a next level. Would feel the supernatural ability of heaven coming to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, without further ado, Mike's gonna preach it up today. Testing, yeah. There goes Big Mouth. Let me, let me get my notes and stuff. How y'all doing today? Man, I am glad to be able to worship with y'all today. I'm so happy that today's May 1st because greatness is born in May. Any May babies here? <laughs> yeah, greatness is born in May. God bless you. You know, uh, Kim is always such a surpriser. Like, I'm seeing a lot of friends and family I haven't seen in a long time. Welcome to my home, y'all. This is my, the crazy people that we hang out with, here they are, here they are. And I, I'm, I'm so grateful to see every last one of y'all, thank you. You know, um, this isn't part of the message, and, but I do wanna say something. Now, greetings online, by the way. This isn't part of the message, but I do wanna say this, that we didn't know that Bethel Atlanta existed when we left San Antonio to do our church plant. I didn't even hear of this place ever. And Kim and I both were just looking for something and, and we were looking for one thing, one thing. We weren't looking for notoriety. We weren't looking for who had the biggest number. 
We were looking for something that was very familiar to us both, and that's the presence of God. That's the only thing that we look for. When we came here and visited, we visited about 13 different places, and we were looking for a place to worship. But what I sensed over here was an open heaven. I sense it's not about personality, and I like what Blake was talking about a little while ago. It was about that mystery that we've experienced before that felt super familiar. And it was at this place, and now I get to serve y'all in different capacity. I get to love on y'all in a deeper capacity, and that's all we want to do, guys. I could care less about title or nothing. That five o'clock hanging out at Sandy Creek, we we had great joy in doing it. So now we, we even more get to pray with people, even more, even more hospital visits, even more of the things, man, and even reproduce the grace of the pastor here within Bethel Atlanta. So I'm super excited. Thank you for the warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, I've never sat down before. I don't think I'm going to do that too much longer. <laughs> I'm feel all folded up and stuff. I'm a little bit more animated than that. But, but, I, but I'm super grateful. Um, Justin had the home group leaders stand up, and you all know how I felt about y'all behind closed doors. I mean, throughout the pandemic, pre-pandemic, I mean, these guys were hosting people, pastoring people, giving people prophetic words. And like, y'all are worthy of so much honor. So I just honor you, home group leaders. I honor you. I honor you your leaders and pastors in the environment, and I, I just love you. Thank you all for everything. So at any rate, um, I don't mind that the clock is ticking because I just want to talk to you all today. And I want to talk to you all about, I, I want you all to walk with me a little bit today because don't you think that anybody who's standing up here in any location should be prepared? Do you think that they should spend time with the Holy Spirit? Do you think that they should study? Well, Jehovah Switch It Up got me this morning. <laughs> 6.30 this morning. 6.30 this morning. And I believe that there are going to be elements of what I had prepared, but it's not going to be the same. And I, I want to share that with you today. So, Father, I thank you right now for those that are in front of me. I thank you that heaven is here. I thank you, Father, that we love you more than anything, Father. You are the air that we breathe. You are the reason why we live, why we move, why all of us have our being. You're the reason why we exist at this point in history, Father. And I thank you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for what you're going to release today in Jesus' name. So um, I am thoroughly convinced, I'm thoroughly convinced that the only thing, that the singular thing, not optional, the only thing that changes hearts is an encounter with Jesus. Plain and simple, I mean, I, I, I could try and make that a little bit more complex, but it's encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes people. It's not how loud I am, it's not the display now. You know, sometimes you might get loud. I'm not diminishing that point, but I'm just talking about that's not the formula. The formula is the Holy Spirit. And, and that's what we recognized when we got here. So I want to talk a little bit about that transformation, and I'm going to kind of mix up a few things. 
Passed some graduation this past week. All of graduates, raise your hand. Woo! Well done. Well done. So, uh, you know, Kim does those balloon thingies, man. And so uh, we're taking down that balloon thing after graduation was over with. And so we're like, we're like some of the last people to leave, or so we thought. One young lady comes walking around the corner, and I knew she had been in for a few years. And so I looked at her. I'm like, congratulations, my friend. What you got going on? You know, third year is over with, right? And she paused for a moment. And what she said to me rocked me, y'all. She said, Mike, she said, my city is one of the worst cities in Georgia. God's sending me back to that city to cause change. God's sending me. He, she said, I have favor upon my life there. She's talking about this person, that situation. And I'm looking at her. Y'all yo, yo, know I'm six foot six. How tall are you, John? John, I'm curious. Six five. <laughs> Check out this tall guy. But, 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 but I'm, looking, I'm looking at her. I'm like, you know, you're all a five four, but you look like you're 10 feet right now in the spirit because you aren't intimidated by what's going on in the day. You see, who I was talking to, y'all, was somebody who's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so when you're transformed by the Holy Spirit, this thing that came to me when Steve Backlund was here, I'm not gonna go into all of it, but I had an encounter for three hours inside my room, and he kept on talking to me, the Lord, about unreasonable faith. Somebody say unreasonable faith. Unreasonable faith. Faith that just doesn't make sense. Faith that's ludicrous. Faith that mathematically, it, it just doesn't go together. It, it just, it's not congruent. I'm talking about unreasonable faith. Why is that important? Well, let's open up the scripture. Now, uh, for the sake of time, I'm gonna do a lot of paraphrasing today, but I'm gonna point you to a few areas. And after the message, you go back and study it and get the nuggets. Fair enough? Let's go to Luke 4 and 18. Luke 4 and 18. It's a very familiar passage. Luke 4 and 18. Yo, I had to use some unreasonable faith for this Bible. Honestly, I've had it for 13 years now. And when we left graduation, like a whole thing of water fell on it. It got resurrected. Look at it. It's, it's still here. Unreasonable, you know. Thank you, Jesus. So let's go to 4 and 18. So if you've hung out with us for a while, you know Isaiah 61 is our scripture. Isaiah 61 is our scripture. Well, let's look at verse 18. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Say, God has anointed me. To pro so proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then he does something that's very interesting. See, if you just look at Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 and 18, just on face value, they're actually different. This next area that he's about to read, let's, this is actually Isaiah 4, 6, and 7 that he's quoting, and Isaiah 61 and 1 is what he's quoting, quoting in that first part of 4 and 18. He says, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Didn't that young lady tell me that she had favor on her? 
I was like, you sounding like the Lord right now. She said, the spirit of the Lord is upon her. The spirit upon her as a transformed one to bring transformation to where he's at. So I, I, I told you, I didn't, I'm not just spitting out scriptures for nothing. Isaiah 42, if we go there, let's go there really quickly. Because, you know, our main verse is Isaiah 61 for this house, Isaiah 42. You see, unreasonable faith doesn't just come from nowhere. It comes from somewhere. And God has this thing that he has laid out since the beginning of time called covenant. Somebody say covenant. And with this covenant, he's laid out many and precious and manifold promises towards us, right? Let's look at this covenant that he has here. Verse number six in Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Remember my last message I kept on saying, I'm the righteousness of God, right? In Christ Jesus. Look, he's telling us in the Old Testament before Jesus even came. Look, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Listen, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons who sit in darkness. Ah. <sighs> Does God know how to lie? Does, does God go back on his word? So we know that there are some things that are impossible of him, right? He doesn't go back on his word and he's incapable of lying, right? Okay, good. Well, I want to talk about somebody who in, in real life had the opportunity to have some unreasonable faith exhibited. We're going to be going back and forth between the Old and New Testament, so just go on this journey with me. Let's go to Exodus 1. Everybody knows the story about Moses, right? So we know that in Abraham's day, God had made a covenant with Abraham. And he said that from you, even though you don't have any kids right now, that your children would be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, right? He told this to Abraham, who hadn't had children yet. So Abraham finally has, you know, he has his child. And so we have Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob. And Jacob became the father of Joseph. We know the story about Joseph. Joseph was a great dreamer, and we know he had all those brothers who hated on him, basically say, haters. <laughs> and he threw him into the pit because he was a dreamer, right? But because Joseph had a connection with the Lord, there came a time when those brothers had to come back to him. And because they came back to him, Joseph acting in a redeemer capacity, he allowed his brothers to remain in Egypt, and so they grew mightily. They increased great in numbers, and so, so much so that they became a burden. So Joseph died as the king at the time, and then a new pharaoh arises. And this is what the new pharaoh says. He says, I am going to kill every firstborn child. Can you imagine that trying to fly these days? Can you imagine the, the, the uproar that we would have in our nation? We already have enough stuff. But that right there, we're going to kill every male child. So check this out. So now, 
we have this scenario where in Abraham's lineage, a boy is born and his name is Moses. And we know the story. They set him on the water. He was found by the Pharaoh's daughter. When he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter, he was reared up in their house. Now, this is where we get ready to have a little bit of fun. You ready to have some fun? Let's go to verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked in their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. We now have Moses the murderer. Moses, thinking nobody had seen what he did, Moses is now a murderer. So what happens right after that? When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews are struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So he hid him in the sand. He was trying to be discreet about it. But now we see that Moses has been found out. So what does Moses do? Moses goes on the run. So Moses goes on the run, and what does he become? He becomes a shepherd, right? He becomes a shepherd of many sheep, and that's his business at the time. He's a sheep entrepreneur. So check this out. Check this out. While he's out there, though, the children of Israel are still struggling. The children of Israel are still captive. They have all kinds of bondages. They have all kinds of things that are going wrong with them. And they're pleading out to God. If we look in Exodus chapter 2, it says, 2 and 23, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery. What did it do? It came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God, look at this. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He remembered the covenant. There were people that were groaning. Let's say that's prayer. How many people have been crying out for revival? How many people have crying out for a mighty move of God? God remembers his covenant with you. He hears and he knows. So check this out. Now we're getting ready to get to the point where I really, really love. So now we know while Moses is out there in the desert, he encounters the what? The burning bush, which was an example of God's presence at the time, right? Moses, the murderer, sheep entrepreneur, now encounters God's presence. This is when Moses' story shifts. This is when Moses' story goes in a completely different direction because if we fast forward, Moses went from murderer to mass deliverer. Moses went from murdering one to leading millions to safety. From what? One encounter with the Almighty God. It makes me think about present day. It makes me think about the arguments that we see in media amongst our wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. The high principles that we espouse. 
the high ideals that we espouse, the, the traditions that we espouse. And God is saying, all they need is encounter. All they need is an encounter with me and I'll change their whole trajectory. I think I mispronounced trajectory. Sound like I said trajectory. That's its evil twin. Trajectory. <laughs> but uh, but, but you, you see, what I'm getting at is this. Jesus was giving us the example in Luke 4 and 18 when he said, Jesus has anointed me. That's why I said for you to say it. Jesus has anointed John. Jesus anointed David and Tracy. Beautiful couple. Jesus has anointed Terrence. Jesus has anointed Chelsea. He has anointed us to free the captives. He's anointed us to set at liberty those that have been abused and bruised. Man, I'm just butchering the English language today, y'all, but, but God is with me. He loves me. God loves me and I love him. <laughs> but but I, I hear you. I, didn't notice it. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I love you, man. I paid him. But check it out. I can hear you though. Oh, Mike, you all, you all hanging out in the Old Testament, Mike. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad you think that. Let's go to Acts 9. Let's go to Acts 9. See, I hit you with the crossover. You basketball people here. Acts 9. Acts 9. Let's, let's talk about this brother whom we all love. You see, I talked about unreasonable faith earlier. You see, what God did with Moses, it really didn't make sense because Moses, by all accounts, was guilty. Moses didn't even atone for what he did. Moses was on the run. But God chose the foolish things to confound the wise. He chose something that me or you, we probably would have said, we would have probably posted this picture on Facebook and we would have let all the comments scroll down, be 9,000 shares and 9,000 comments. Like, this is the guy who murdered this guy. But God said, that's my guy. That's the guy who I'm gonna use. So let's go to Acts 9 and let's go to verse one. Now we see this guy named Saul not only was this guy a murderer, but this guy used to get contracts for people to murder Christians, those who are in the way. Let's read that. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for him letters. These are those contracts right here. To the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, those are the believers, men or women, he might bound them, bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, what happens? He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and fallen to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Saul, Saul the contract murderer and Pharisee and man of great renown and stature, getting contracts 
His principles were high. His traditions were high. His ideals were high. And he meant it with every fiber of his being. What Paul was doing was the truth for his day. What Paul was doing was reality for his day. Excuse me. So you might be saying, what do you mean, Michael? Like, I I think I kind of know where you're going to with this thing. Like, when people do stuff wrong, you just got to address it. You got to make an example of them. You got to, you know, that's, that's the truth. He murdered that lady. He murdered that man. But there's greater truth. There's a greater reality. You see, if, if, if you really listen to, I thank God for that message that Blake preached on January 2nd. See, I, I want to kind of cut to the chase because I have some more examples and I have proof. But I'm going to cut to the chase. I like this right here because this is a good example. There is a distinction between kingdom thinking and everything else. It's not the same. It's very different. If you listen to that message, go back, it's January 2nd, this year, first message of the year. He talked about how the kingdom was going this way and how different people were walking along the road just trying to do their best and, and then on the back of their heads basically you could see their spiritual sin resume right here, right here in the back. And so you had some groups of people who were protesting and saying, you know, he doesn't deserve to be in the kingdom and pointing at him and shaming him. Then you had another group who was basically letting them know, hey, uh, you know, I got some good advice for you all four of these groups of people were taking them off the path. But Jesus comes along in this dream and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You see, this is something that the entire body is wrestling with right now. I have my podcast. I have my group of friends who keep on saying that this is right, but it's not right. It's not kingdom. Kingdom smells like something. Kingdom looks like something. Kingdom smells like fruit of the Spirit. Kingdom smells like, I know that you're guilty, but I'm seeing something. Just like God did with Moses, just like did with Paul and Saul, just like Jesus and God did with you and me. Just like he did with us. I will do like the parable when Jesus invited everybody to the marriage supper because the ones whom he had chosen didn't come. But he said, open it wide. Open the hedges, open, go to the hedges and highways. Invite them all. Because we're inviting my presence, we're inviting the king and they're coming in my presence. And guess what we're gonna do? Notice he's inviting them to the table. Great things happen at the table, don't they? We're eye to eye at the table. We can share with one another at the table. There's fellowship at the table. We close deals at the table. Everything happens at the table. You give advice at the table. Everything happens at the table, but this is the table with the Lord of glory. 
Answer me this, my brothers and sisters. This isn't an indictment. I'm your brother. How many people, how many people have we said, you can't come to this table? You can't come to this table because of your belief, because of your party. I'm not inviting you to the table. I'm keeping you locked out. And as I'm keeping you locked out, guess what I'm preventing? I'm preventing that encounter from happening. It's our job, family, to bring encounter. It's our job to bring encounter. Your, your, your principles and your ideals and, and, and your tradition, they have a measure of weight, but they don't supersede the heavens. They don't supersede what heaven wants to do. So why is this important now? Because I'm tired of seeing people hurt. Y'all know there's right now, y'all, there's a massive exodus from the church. People are coming to the place where they're supposed to get healing, where they're supposed to get freedom, where they're supposed to get acceptance, where they're supposed to get love. And because you don't look like me, because you believe different, I'm turning you away. This is what I'll say, not on my watch. Not on my watch. And everybody has to have that. We have to have that same thinking. Like, it doesn't matter that you don't have things that's unique to you. God isn't wanting to make us clones. But he is wanting us to have that same heart that this marriage ceremony is open to everybody. Listen, I'm going to tell you all a story. So I was in first year with the mighty Jen Stockman. And, uh, and we did a conference while we were in first year. I don't think anybody even knows. I think Meredith knows. We did a conference. went to Canada. And I was back there. Uh, I always like to pray beforehand. And I heard this heavenly voice. I mean, this, it sounded like angels, man. I didn't know wh whether the voice was male or female. I had no idea. And he, the voice was just singing. So I'm talking to my cousin. She's Jamaican. Michael, why are you looking up? You know, she's real thick accent. And I said, who's this person singing right now? And she said, oh, that's such and such. And then she began to tell me their story. She said, let's just call them, for lack of a, let's just say Jojo. She said, that's Jojo. Jojo, from the time he was three years old to 11 years old, was raped by his uncle. And his uncle called him a girl. He said, you're my girl. And he raped him for no less than eight years. So now he's an older man. He loves the Lord with everything that's with him, but he's wrestling internally because of this decision that he didn't make. And then you have the Christian with the big ideals and the signs excluding him from the kingdom when in all actuality, they should be bringing an encounter to him. They should be bringing the Father's love to him. They should let you let him know that, you know what, my brother? I'm just going to embrace you now and treat you as family now. And, and look, the walls begin to come down at that point. I'm not telling you what I'm speculating about. I'm telling you about what I know. The walls begin to come down. 
And that becomes to be a place where people can have their own burning bush experience. Where people can have their own road to Damascus experience through encounter with God. That's the commission today. That is, that is the point that I have, family. Is my paradigm the kingdom or is it something else? Ask yourself, is my paradigm the kingdom or something else? On that road of kingdom, there's healing available. On that road of kingdom, there's freedom available. On that road of kingdom, there's generational curses being broken. On that road of kingdom. See, listen, you want the laws change? You want legislation to change? Let hearts change first. Let hearts change first. So this is my unreasonable faith. I said it in Alabama a couple weeks ago. I'm believing that every sitting U.S. president will have a mighty encounter with the Holy Spirit. Everyone, that's kingdom thinking. I'm not saying dump nothing. I'm not saying let's go nothing. You know what I'm talking about. That's dishonor. You might say that's true. You might say, oh, that's funny. It's not funny. Dishonor is never funny. It's never funny. But I want the Lord to know. I want the Lord to, to see my heart. I want the Lord to say, man, that's one who believes right there. That one right there. You see, I hate to, I don't hate to be redundant. I'm happy about my testimony. I'm happy about my own road to Damascus experience. I'm happy about on Saturday, I was going out to do all kind of stuff. On Monday, I'm in there praying with the intercessors. I went from making all kind of music over here to that being my God. Nothing's wrong with music. Don't get me wrong, y'all. But it was my God. I worshiped the music. So now I'm over here playing hours in the glory. From one week to the next. From one week to the next. But it was an encounter. It was God having unreasonable faith towards me. It was the friends who I played basketball with not looking at, it's hard to believe, my potty mouth. <laughs> not looking at my potty mouth and my bad attitude and saying, there's one. He's right there, that skinny guy right there playing center on the team. That's the guy who we're going to go after. So I, I asked the group, I, I ran into them, well, I don't know, about 17 years after I got born again. I'll never forget. I said, man, why'd you come get me like that, man? Like you couldn't have, you could have went and got anybody else. He said, the Lord told, told us to. The Lord said that it was time. See, they were thinking kingdom. They were thinking like my big sister Dara always says. They were seated in heavenly places. They were wanting the will on earth to be that of heaven. And so they were wanting to change something. So now, guess what? Now I can share with y'all. You know, this is 27 odd years. And because of their unreasonable faith. See, you thought I was going to talk about money and stuff, didn't you? Nah, nope. Thought I was going to talk about career, didn't you? Nope. 
I'm talking about God honoring his covenant towards every last one of us. That he's going to call the Gentiles from afar off. Re read all those passages I gave you. They're fascinating. And read how they correlate with even now in, in the Old Testament. But uh, let's stand our feet. Let's stand our feet. Now, my desire today was not to step on any toes. My desire today was to point out that there's a difference between kingdom thinking and what's popular. I gave my life to Christ, not to this over here. This over here has eternal weight and can go for generations. This over here has a good argument. This over here is a mansion that falls into the sand and then the mansion gets built up again another way and then it goes into the sand again and they keep on, it's new ways how to say this stuff. You know what I mean? This is the sinking sand over here, by the way, if you didn't. But this mansion over here is just getting better and better. The rock is Christ himself. It never falls, it never decreases. I don't wanna get off that kingdom path, y'all. I don't care how many people are saying how great it is. It's wrong. It's, you need to have spiritual huevos, my brother, spiritual huevos, <laughs> and, and be able to say it's wrong. Because guess what? It, all of us should be able to say the same thing because God has encountered me. He's encountered you. He showed us his face. He showed us his glory. He showed us who he is, and, and that's all we want other people to receive. That other stuff, all it does is drive a fence deeper and deeper into the ground. Please don't use none of those sayings around me, because I'll probably say something to you. I don't, I don't, I don't like dishonor, and, and I think if we're kingdom people, we should be responsible for the things of the kingdom. Amen. So, shame is never God's MO. He never operates through shame. Maybe even while I was speaking today, maybe you thought about some of the people groups you have maybe marginalized and not really understood what their plight is, what kind of pain that they've endured for them to be where they are because most of the time, it, pain is a source. Most of the time, little hint there. And have been willing to walk with them, like the word from the beginning of the year, walk with them really slowly and have patience and let patience have its perfect work. Maybe that's been you. I don't want anybody to feel shame. But if you felt convicted about any of that, just come to the front there. I just, as your brother, I just want to pray for you. It could be one person. It could be two. If you feel convicted about, man. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.